Welcome to today's edition of the Paul List Comics Analysis Podcast Project. Every day, I pick a comic and I analyze it for about 30 minutes from the varied worlds of superhero comics, graphic novels, indie and small press, global comics, and the canon of classics. I'm Tuply at T-W-O-P-L-A-I on Twitter, Tumblr, and Gmail. And the Paul List is on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. I'm an academic, a critic, and a teacher, and my goal is to immerse myself and you in the study of this vibrant medium's vital voices, whether through social and cultural analysis, or literary and visual interpretation, or other forms of nerdiness. So, lightweight spoiler warning, and let's dig deep. Well, that didn't last long. It's Tuesday, July 19th, um, 2016. And this is actually going back to Monday, backdating this to 18th uh, Monday, because today's our Monday Marvel. Uh, And that didn't last long because I said that we were going to go on hiatus for a few days. And here I am, Um, (laughs) sort of missed a day, but not really, because I'm going to go ahead and keep on with the schedule. Um, But thank you for joining me. Thanks for all those who've um, been giving me some forms of feedback that you're listening, um, friends and, uh, I don't know, random people on the internet. It's cool. I really appreciate that uh, that you're joining me, and it motivates me to want to um, to want to do this. And uh, you know, as well, I'm just kind of um, uh, this is a nice break for me in the middle of the night. It's 1 a.m., <laughs> but I got a little bit of work done today, so um, feeling pretty good about uh, being able to keep this up and having this as an outlet. Um, so I just want to shout out a couple of things. One is that I've mentioned before that. In addition to doing this, I have a couple other roles that I get to um, do kind of as a, a volunteer work of my fandom and comics. And one is that I'm the editor of the uh, Comics Alternatives blog. Comics Alternative is a great podcast. Two guys with PhDs talking about comics. They cover um, all kinds of alternatives to this, the big two superhero comics. Um, and even some academic coverage of those. So um, check it out at um, Comics Alternative. But um, I edit the blog portion of the site, and actually later today on Tuesday when this comes out, um, there's going to be a commentary column from a number of writers and comics um, scholars about um, about the Eisners. It is San Diego Comic Con week, and so um, this is the week when the Eisners are given, and um, kind of in anticipation of those. And the announcements, we we wanted to uh, weigh in, a few of us, on our different perspectives and takes on some of the Eisner categories. So check that out at comicsalternative.com, and you can look at the link that says the blog, and um, find out what uh, what, uh, some commentators from our Comics Alternative team had to say about about Eisner nominees and about the shape of the awards in general. I got a little piece in there myself, too. I also just want to um, shout out the um, Robots from Tomorrow podcast that Greg and Mike uh, run. Uh, They're part of the Multiversity Comics Network. Uh, Multiversity Comics is a site that I've written written for and hope to continue. I got a piece in the oven very soon um, for that for that site. Um, A great site for you know uh, comics news and commentary and coverage and um and also for podcasts um robots from tomorrow is um a podcast that's hosted at multiversity and those guys also write and contribute for the site and it's uh it's a really great it's a really great podcast i encourage you to check them out 
Um, today, I'm back in the saddle to talk about Old Man Logan number eight um, from Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, Andrea, uh, with art by Andrea Sorrentino, and and uh, colors by um, uh, Martin Maiolo. I, I think that's how how you pronounce his name. Um, I think both Sorrentino and Maiolo are Italian artists, and um, I, I think I, what I want to do is kind of today is kind of talk about the effectiveness of the art. I'm sorry, looking at the issue now, I got um, Mr. Maiolo's name wrong. It's Marcelo Maiolo, actually. Apologies for that. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about how the art um, works with this story and a little bit of background about the story itself. Uh, if you haven't been reading Old Man Logan, I think it's perfectly okay to listen to this. Um, I will only spoil what's sort of the premise of the story, and I'll probably spoil the issue a little bit. Um, if you haven't been reading it and you just want to pick up this issue, it's a very um, standalone kind of issue. It actually, it ties into, I mean, actually it speaks pretty heavily to the old man Logan's story uh, more broadly, and I'll explain what that is in a second. But um, as far as like the previous couple of arcs that have preceded this, Sort of, it's sort of not dependent on you having read those arcs. So if you have any familiarity with Old Man Logan, the original series, or even through the um, Secret Wars miniseries, um, then I think you could jump in and read issue eight. Um, so Old Man Logan, uh, for anybody who's not familiar, was a uh, story, and I can't remember if it was its own separate miniseries or what, but it was a, a story written by Mark, Mil um, Mark Miller a number of years back. And um, Mark Miller's career is interesting because I think that for a long time, you know, he, he sort of um, made his rounds around the superhero characters and stuff like that. And for a long time, he had found a lot of success doing things that were, I'd say a couple of characteristics of Mark Miller works of a, of a few years back. One, they were cinematic. Um, cinematic in that he tended to write stuff that not only was influenced by, but also seems to be um, influential now towards um, the comics to, to film relationship or the film to comics relationship. And worked really well with artists like Brian Hitch on um, The Ultimates who um, had a cinematic style had a kind of, um, you know, realism and, you know, sort of explosiveness and grandeur that, um, you know, a good action movie would, would take. And uh, his writing, his scripting tended to have the kind of drama. And, you know, it's not easy to do, actually, but a lot of really good economy and a lot of really good character work that was, um, I don't know, just kind of custom-tuned for, for cinema. Um, so very cinematic. Um, I think a, a second thing a characteristic that I would say of Mark Miller's work, um, and, and I kind of say this up till more recently, but um, very, um, uh, I don't know, like, mm, I don't know if I could put a single word to it, um, but maybe I'd say even pulpy. And um, that's, uh, I think it's unusual for us to call things pulpy that don't seem to explicitly call back the pulps. But well, I guess what I mean by it is that he's always been somewhat sensationalist. Um, no, that's not true, actually. He, he often has been, especially at the height of his popularity, been somewhat sensationalist. And what I mean is that 
there's something that in in many of his popular stories, especially from a certain time period, that always seemed to exploit uh, violence, language, edginess, and uh, and that to exploit that as part of the attraction, part of the um, the draw of his stories. And I think he did that without necessarily losing uh, telling a good story. Um, there's a lot of his work that you know succeeds in telling a good story. Um, helped by or maybe in spite of depending your point of view uh, uh, the kind of violence uh, and the kind of um, well just killing <laughs> of characters uh, that he tended to employ but I think it, there did come a point where I think there was a certain kind of reader backlash to that a, a, a point where um, the darkness in Mark Miller um, and the darkness in his stories started to feel um, uh, uncomfortable or to, to um, like he had gone to the well so much that he his stories were always dependent on a certain amount of, you know, almost exploitational um, violence. And I I kind of agreed that that was a turnoff in the in the last few years. I think he's been writing, you know, aware of that critique while meanwhile continuing to collect um, a lot of really profitable royalties from, um, you know, his work being so adaptable to films. Uh, he's modified a little bit. So he's had a number of series more recently. Um, Starlight is one that comes to mind. Uh, Huck uh, for Image Comics that have trafficked a little bit more in the kind of hope and positivity and... Um, you know, even just flat out kindness, um, a little bit less in the um, in the sort of uh, uh, bleak and misanthropic registers <laughs> that you could say some of his work enters. Um, anyway, Old Man Logan was a classically Mark Miller story. Uh, what happened was that he imagined sort of an alternate world where um where wolverine seems to be a uh ro road warrior haunted um by um some dark thing in his past um you know the the side of wolverine as a character that was an extreme loner that was um you know haunted <laughs> that had uh that was troubled that was uh, himself sort of misanthropic and um, isolated and surly um, was really played up uh, and and in this world uh, Logan was old and something traumatic had happened um, something even more traumatic than all of the trauma that the character has been through uh, Logan as a Wolverine as a character you know the fact of who he's become uh, which has been what's I think explained his appeal for such a long time, but he's become not just the cool character with claws, but the um, kind of the epitome of of a, a trauma that comes out as both violence and devotion. Uh, he's cool because he looks cool with his claws, um, but also the fact that he has this healing factor that um, allows him to survive and survive and survive when other characters have to sort of die and, and resurrect, although he is actually 
technically dead right now in the Marvel Universe, the, the original Wolverine or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, the, the fact of his having uh, surviving so much, he essentially bears in his body the, the marks, the evidence of, um, of surviving a lot of trauma, <laughs> his own and others. Old Man Logan, I think, was that kind of pushed to the hilt. And you come to find out that in the original Mark Miller series that Logan has survived uh, a scenario where the villains of the Marvel world have united um, and essentially, you know, slaughtered, laid waste on the superheroes um, and, have, and have taken over. And so this is a very dark, post-apocalyptic world. Um, it's very Mad Max. Um, and... Uh, and what, what we find, come to find out what's happened is that um, Logan's own family has been killed, that he, you know, went on to have a family, and um, his uh, wife and children were killed um, by this family of hulks who are um, evil. <laughs> and, um, and then that he's traumatized by, you know, you come to find out that what he did... Um, is he killed all of the X-Men. I think that's how it goes. Uh, because he was tricked by Mysterio um, into thinking that they were villains. And so he, by his hand or his claws or whatever, killed all the X-Men. So this is the trauma that Old Man Logan carries around in this tale, uh, written by Mark Miller from a number of years back. Uh, that, that character and that universe was revived in Secret Wars. Secret Wars was course an opportunity to not just have the main marvel universe and the ultimate marvel universe thrown together and turned into fragments that you know were pieced reattached in the world that currently exists in marvel right now but also a chance for them to throw in other alternate universes including that of old man logan and so in the main marvel universe the 616 universe prior to secret wars uh, logan had or wolverine had died in the miniseries, The Death of Wolverine. <laughs> and so we were living in a somewhat Wolverine-less ex existence. Of course, they had plans for X-23 um, to become Wolverine, and so now there's an all-new Wolverine with um, the character who once was X-23, basically a female Wolverine character. Um, but they also, through the shenanigan, the universe, you know, alternate timeline shenanigans of Secret Wars, brought the Wolverine from Old Man Logan into the world that um, now exists. And so a lot of this book, this um, new series that Jeff Lemire has been writing, has been about this Logan, this Old Man Logan, in this world where, you know, the villains won and they took over, and where he, by his hand, murdered the superheroes, by, you know, a world in which he, he lost his family. Um, him now coming to terms with a world that is in almost every way just like his world where he experienced all this trauma except without um, everything that had happened to him, basically, without the, the, the villains taking over, without a family. Um, and some of the prior arcs have kind of dealt with some of those things. Uh, I am not 
a huge Wolverine fan. I've read actually for for someone who's not a, a huge Wolverine fan. I've read a lot of Wolverine from your very kind of fun and engaging uh, Wolverine and the X Men series, where he's the headmaster and you sort of have him as this grumpy teacher mentor type. Um, to the stuff with um, with Jubilee and I have a, a we have a couple of posters in our house of Wolverine and Jubilee because that's kind of a analog to my relationship with my daughter. So it's kind of, that's my main connection, my main attachment to Wolverine. Um, but, and of course I've read a lot of the old stuff to, to even some of the um, darker, grittier Wolverine stuff. But having, despite having read that much Wolverine, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Wolverine fan. Um, what brought me to the series, what made me follow from, from the outset was Jeff Lemire. So if you don't know, Jeff Lemire is a writer who um, is now pretty um, deep in Marvel. He's writing a lot of Marvel books. He's writing this one. He's writing the Extraordinary X-Men. He's writing um, uh, a Moon Knight. Um, I'm leaving one out. That's really important. But he's writing a, f a number of books for X uh, for Marvel. And prior to this, he had been writing a, a number of books for DC. And prior to that, was primarily uh, almost kind of an indie creator. Um, wrote and drew a, a, a series of book that's kind of collected in a book called Essex County. And if you haven't read Essex, Essex County, I think I'm actually going to talk about it um, later this week. In fact, just even though I was going to go on hiatus, part of what brought me back is just thinking I really want to talk about Jeff Lemire. And so I think I'm going to talk about Essex County on Thursday and maybe tomorrow during the Tuesday trade, talk about the, the, um, the trade paperback and hardcover of Plutona, a series that Lemire wrote for Image, um, drawn by Emmy Lennox, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, this might be a, a Lemire week here at the Paulist. Um, but Old Man Logan uh, had Lemire, you know, announced as the writer, and that got me excited because I'm a fan. I really like Jeff Lemire. Um, Essex County, I was a fan of. Uh, he, he then did a, a Vertigo series called A Sweet Tooth. He's done a couple of other, other series, um, such as Trillium, graphic novel called Underwater Welder, um, went back and found other works of his, one called Lost Dogs, and, uh, and then he did a, a number of runs at DC, some of which did better than others, um, but including, uh, he wrote Animal Man, you know, which is always an intimidating character to step into after Grant Morrison, and he also uh, wrote, um, did he write Swamp Thing? No, he wrote Justice League, Dark, Justice League, um, something United, which I think was his. He's a Canadian. He, he wears his Canadianness on his sleeve quite a lot as a writer. In fact, it shows up in this issue as well. Uh, re re related to Puck, the uh, character who's also, you know, Alpha Flight character. So that's a that's a Canadian character as well. And um, and he also wrote um, Green Arrow for a time, and that's significant because Green Arrow paired him with an Italian artist who. Um, had uh, kind of pretty recently arrived on the scene with the series I Vampire, um, uh, Andrea Sorrentino. And, uh, at, you know, through all of that work, Sorrentino worked with colorist Marcello Maiolo and had a very distinctive style, one that, um, you know, people really liked and uh, received a lot of critical praise. Um, and I'll talk about that style. But here we had Lemire and Sorrentino and Maiolo who did this Green Arrow series. Um, you know, that team kind of brought over wholesale to do Old Man Logan. And as soon as the chem that, that chemistry, that particular combination 
was announced, I just felt like it was going to work. Um, because I knew the old man Logan's story, because I knew I could imagine what um, bringing him into the main universe, main Marvel universe, uh, basically somebody who had been through this um, trauma, this uh, sort of had this survivor syndrome uh, from having experienced so much darkness and then being brought into a, uh, uh, you know, newly rejuvenated Marvel universe. Uh, one where, for instance, um, Jean Grey, who, of course, the long, you know, long-standing relationship between Logan and Jean Grey is sort of, you know, the, the stuff of many X-Men movies that uh, reflect stuff that's been in the comics forever. But uh, the Jean Grey right now that's in the Marvel Universe is actually the one who time-traveled back from, uh, no, time-traveled forward, actually. So it's the teenage Green Jean Grey, who's part of uh, Brian Michael Bendis' all-new X-Men series. Um, if you haven't been reading any Marvel, but somehow you're listening to this, if this pro you're probably hearing all this and you're just like shaking your head and saying... That's comics, <laughs> and that is that is comics because, really, what you have in this issue is you have an, a, a Logan from another universe, who was brought, in a way, um, back in time, so he's old, <laughs> he's older than his his age should be at this time, back in time, and to another universe that's you know parallel, that's just like his own, but where all the things that happened in his universe haven't happened, and he's not sure that they're not going to happen, but. They haven't happened yet. And then you have a Jean Grey from the past, which is who was brought to the future, which is this present day. And then actually, by the way, brought through this, um, you know, multiverse altering event of Secret Wars. But anyway, we won't worry about that. And they are now part of this new extraordinary X-Men team led by Storm. So um, Old Man Logan, uh, really wh what, what Jeff Lemire has had to do was to take this very um, particular character who I think needed to exist in a very particular storyline, in a very particular world, namely this dark, um, you know, Mark Miller <laughs> uh, kind of antisocial, very, um, very bleak, post-apocalyptic world, and to transport that Logan into this present Marvel world, dealing with all of this continuity timeline you know um character team stuff to and retain that sense of this brooding and traumatized character who saw his children die um who you know deals with the guilt constantly of having murdered his friends um and contributed to the sort of you know destruction of the world that he survived uh and then being in this other world um, and really this issue, uh, and I don't know if it's sort of timing, but uh, there was a one opening arc, I think it was a four issue, yeah, the first four issue arc, and then there was another three issue arc, and I, li and I liked both of those, but this issue, I think, is a, uh, issue eight is a chance for a stand-alone, a one-shot that gives Logan a chance to um, check in with the fact of his, the past that he experienced, which is actually in his future in another universe and how it um, continues to traumatize him in the universe that he's in, in this sort of crazy time switch and universe switch that he's in. And so 
uh, I think now I'm going to assume that you've read or are reading the issue, but if you, if you haven't, I think you hopefully can, can, can benefit from hearing about this. Um, what happens in this issue is that uh, Wolverine is up in, late at night in the middle of the night because these are the hours when he starts to have the flashbacks of not being ready when the villains united in his world. And uh, the flashbacks of experiencing, you know, watch, witnessing as Daredevil is killed uh, and Punisher is killed um, on the streets of New York and watching as um, Hank Pym and Janet um, Van Dyne uh, are, are taken down by the villains and watching as, of course, his uh, cherished Jubilee, who's sort of his his charge, his adoptive daughter um, is killed. And then um, and gradually sort of all of this trauma he relives um, and it's keeping him up at night. And he happens to be living, of course, in the in the X mansion, which is in limbo. Don't don't ask me to explain, but it's in limbo, uh, not limbo, Texas. That's not a place, but like you know, real life spiritual limbo, sustained their their presence sustained by magics, magic, the magic of magic. So anyway, he's in the mansion. He can't sleep, and of course, who knows that he can't sleep? But um, Jean Grey, who comes and. Uh, asks Cerebra, the uh, robot, I mean the uh, well, the sentinel looking Cerebra um, thanks to Forge, uh, more backstory I won't get into <laughs> um, to, to take the two of them to all these places where Logan experienced the trauma in his future of, of you know, watching the, the villains kill the heroes and takes him back to all these places to to show him. See, look, you know, streets of New York, everything's fine. Or see, look, uh, uh, this place where you saw Ant Man fall, nothing's going on, right? Or maybe, and ultimately, most importantly, hey, you see, look, you thought you lost Jubilee, here she is. Hey, along with um, you know Hawkeye, Puck, and Captain America sitting at a bar, ready to have a few drinks with you. And so um, <laughs> uh, Jean Grey takes Logan on this sort of twisted um, ghost of future past or present or future or days of future present past or whatever <laughs> tour um, to help him cope with, um, I guess, the, the survivor guilt of, you know, this sort of post-traumatic stress of um, having lived in his world and seen what he saw happen. And then trying to go to be be able to go to sleep at night in this world where all that hasn't happened. Um, yeah, it's very Lemire. Um, it's very Lemire in the sense that um, Lemire has always been always written things that are very very sad. Um, but even in Essex County, which is just about you know some some everyday people in a Canadian city, you know, <laughs> with a lot of woods, you know, and just very um, kind of down-to-earth uh, kind of storytelling. Lemire has always dwelled in the, in the realms of regret, um, in the places where your past um, haunts you and keeps you up at night. Um, his art style, when he is drawing, um, has a certain uh, anxiety to it. You know, everything, everybody looks kind of trembly maybe a little a little crazy a little manic <laughs> um and and the there's a, always a profound sadness and a prof a deep 
sense of loss often having to do with missing fathers or missing children or those those kind of core relationships having been fractured or lost and maybe some regret or maybe some um uh a sense of 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 you know forgetfulness trying trying to find forgetfulness trying to find um, the ability to move on um, all that stuff is kind of trademark Lemire um, and it's beautiful I mean he plays up that stuff sometimes melodramatically um, but there's uh, there's a common spirit to a lot of his best writing uh, I call it the I call it Lemiricism I feel like there's a Lemiricism that um, he 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 only knows how to write this way. To be honest, I think uh, even writing for Valiant, um, his book Bloodshot Reborn, uh, Bloodshot, this character was basically a killing machine. He he could only write a killing machine that was about, you know, <laughs> this desire for identity and a desire for family and stuff. And I think it's the same is true here in Old Man Logan. This issue is really about um, Wolverine looking for a sense of. Um, connectedness and family which was which seems to have been irretrievably broken by his um experience by violence by you know terrible terrible bloodshed um and of course we're cognizant the whole time that this is comics <laughs> you know that these things didn't happen and if they even if they did happen in this timeline they actually didn't happen um but it's a very traumatic time in our world and um and i i feel like this issue obviously not written for because of the issue, events of the last couple of weeks but you know obviously you can also look beyond the last couple of weeks and there's so much violence and trauma in the world people um uh dealing with things like post traumatic stress all the time and um and i think the issue is um does in a one shot the, the you know kind of the brave work of um of considering how we might heroically in this case gene might heroically um be with somebody through trauma and um through the after effects and the experience of of trauma and um and so i uh, you know what i i think lastly what i want to really touch on is how fitting sorrentino's art is for this Sorrentino, um, like I said, he and Milo are a great pair. There's something really striking about the colors, actually, as a fit. But um, Sorrentino also has a very strong design sense that I, you know, I get a little bit of um, European artists. Whenever I say European artists, usually I, I mean either Hergé and Tintin or I mean um, Moebius and <laughs> that style. Or I don't know if it's Moebius or Mobius, but you know, here we're talking more about the the Mobius end of things. Um, but but I think there's also something, and he he doesn't name this as an influence, but kind of Jay Lee looking about his art. Uh, if you're familiar with the art of Jay Lee, which um, every panel, every page, every panel and page design is almost a, a very intentional design orientation that. You know, they look cool. They look like a cool work of art. Um, it's not just efficient storytelling. It's, uh, but, it, but it also is good storytelling. I mean, the, it's not sort of really abstract design that has no, st no correlation or meaning in this story. Um, I'm looking at one page, for instance, where actually the panels are relatively ordered, but there's a sort of a K 
character shot through the head and it's a the panel outline is a Punisher skull because hey look it's Punisher who shot him you know and then Punisher himself is pierced with a um uh, a sword uh, I don't know oh by Craven the hunter and then you see the sword poking through him and then in the this is a very Sorrentino move to almost make a little inset panel that focuses on a place where action is happening that's kind of his one of the the moves that that he makes that's um that's become really distinctive. Uh, I mean, I think if you've seen Sorrentino's art, you recognize it right away, and you recognize it here. And it tends to, um, I mean, one of his, probably his, uh, you know, he kind of burst on the scene with the work I Vampire, a very horror-oriented um, story, and I think that seems to be his style, something that's really fitting for horror, almost like, you know, the um, dust jacket is it? A, that's not a dust jacket. Yeah, the dust jacket of a horror book, um, or the uh, movie poster of a horror movie. Um, but how does that play in a story where, it, you know, with a writer like uh, Lemire, who actually banks so much on sentiment? I think the aspects of the story that are about the, you know, the wasteland of our souls and the, um, you know, the the tragedy and the mournfulness of angry and and worn out people that works with the Sorrentino art but but also you know Lemire has a t- tends to have uh, tears and hugs <laughs> and feels and and there's definitely those here and how will Sorrentino work with that and I think the issue is evidence that it works um, actually really really nice and I chalk a lot of that up to both he and and Milo Milo working together to um, do tremendous some pretty tremendous acting in this book. Sometimes when we talk about acting, we mean an artist acting in comics. We mean the ways that they, um, you know, uh, draw characters, including their posture, gesture, the sense that their bodies convey their emotion. Um, and you know, some of it is when a, when a, you know, somebody's dead and you're holding their body, you got to scrunch up the shoulders in just this way. And there's, um, there's that. And he does that really well. But for me, I'm I'm almost more impressed by just two people in a room, and the subtleties of, you know, the their feelings flashing across their face. A little bit of mistrust, a little bit of regret, a little bit of, um, you know, maybe uh, 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 excitement. You know, the the sort of feelings that, you know, flash on a person's face. Maybe sometimes only for an instant, uh, but that reveal their their inner thoughts and feelings and um he does such a marvelous job of that you know Jean Grey goes through this huge range of emotions often she is the human touchstone for uh Logan as she's showing him you know basically places where nothing is going on and that's supposed to be what's reassuring um similarly characters like Steve Rogers have some acting to do Jubilee has some acting to do and as throughout you know uh, this sort of um this uh, broken Logan character who's trying to return to a sense of, you know, regular non-traumatized humanity and existence has to do a a ton of acting. Um, The angle of his head, the the, uh, wrinkle of his brow. And Sorrentino does that so, so well in this issue. Um, Not to mention that, again, the design of the panels the placement of characters the kind of um sometimes faint suggestions sometimes 
uh, really carefully rendered um, sense of atmosphere uh, in places from you know a room a library of the mansion to a wide open plane that is to give you a feeling of uh, you know a strong sense of place and that places impact on on Logan in front of his eyes um, all that's just done so well um, I, I think Old Man Logan 8 uh, is a great summation of some of the best of what Lemire is doing in superhero comics and I still often wish that I could see more of his you know I wish I could go back to Essex County with him uh, he's he is writing a variety of things that uh, some of it hits on the more indie kind of uh, low-key note that he was in the past but I also am enjoying his superhero work and I think this typifies what I enjoy about it really well in the superhero world he is uh, leveraging a lot of that emotional core that uh, he's so good at uh, I think it's also this this is also a brilliant example of Sorrentino and Maiolo's range and I didn't talk much about the colors it's always hard to talk about colors without showing so I hope you can see it on um, your copy but he just is able to um, get the chaos in the colors, the chaos of those flashback moments, and then the the more muted but still lively colors of the scenes where there isn't the chaos. That's letting Logan know, you know, we we are we are there, <laughs> we are safe, we are in a place where all this trauma has not happened. Um, and then the um, very emotional and personal beats. And the ways colors uh, resonate emotion, uh, you know, the Sorrentino Milo art team uh, use of color is much more about the emotion that a scene is trying to convey than some accuracy to, you know, what would the lighting look like. There's a lot of filters for the color, um, and and it's great. It's I think it's very smartly done. Um, okay, so this was my kind of lengthy when I started the recording I was like oh do I have stuff for 20 minutes am I gonna have enough to say for 20 minutes and I'm nearing 40 um like I said um I think that this week I'm gonna it's gonna be kind of an all the mirror week um I'm gonna talk about Plutona tomorrow we'll see what happens with the Wednesday wide world of comics I may need to actually utilize that break that I asked for before this episode that hiatus to do to catch up on some more work but um yeah, thank you very much for listening, if you have listened this far. Um, and um, I hope that it's been a fun time for you. Um, I would love to get an email, uh, even a few stray words about what you like, uh, suggestions that you have for how to make this shorter and more efficient. <laughs> what things can I just skip? You know, Paul, you can make it easier on all of our ears if you would just do this. Um, but mostly it's just great fun for me. So thank you for reading with me. And um, yeah, if you want to if you want to hear about Plutona tomorrow, let's talk about Plutona. You can tell me your thoughts. Uh, reach out to me at Twitter, um, two ply t w o p l a i, or um, email me at two ply at gmail dot com, or you can uh, uh, find me at two ply dot dot com. Uh, I don't think I'm going to post any images for this book, but uh, maybe for some of the books in the next few days, um, I'll do that at the Tumblr. Um, yeah, thank you, and uh, keep reading.